Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording... So interestingly enough, uh, your last storyteller for the evening, he knows a lot about hookworms. We, we had this weird conversation before the beginning of the night when we were all doing like mic checks and stuff. We all came up and like said what we knew about parasitic worms. Don't, I don't know how this conversation happened. But then like, you know, he got up on the mic and, and dropped some, some hookworm knowledge and I think he's going to drop some knowledge tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Ray Smith. <laughs> oh, let me point this in the right direction here. Well, the reason I know about hookworms is I am a pathologist. A pathologist, oops, there it goes. A pathologist is a, um, is a physician who doesn't see patients. Instead, I see things taken out of patients. You could think of it as working in the parts department, maybe. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, and yet, as a pathologist, I found myself, I found myself uh, on my way to do primary care uh, in a little clinic, the Rose Clinic, in a little village, Camoyo, one of countless villages that lie at the outskirts of Lilongwe. That's the capital city of Malawi. And for those of you who may be geographically challenged, Malawi would be in Africa. Um, I had actually been there a few times. I had been on mission trips there nine of the last ten years. I had led those mission trips for seven of those years. But now the mission trips had become medical. And that meant that I was going to be doing primary care way, way outside my comfort zone. But I wasn't going alone. I had foresight. Plan that baby. Uh, we had uh, medicines waiting for us over there that we bought in Malawi because that's cheap. And um, I was taking with me um, a career family physician, um, a nurse practitioner. And over there, I was going to be working with a, a male Malawian nurse uh, and also uh, a young girl who is going to be finishing medical school in Malawi this year. Uh, we had also had other helpers, and they were going to be directing traffic because they knew my skills for clinical medicine were limited. Uh, So I was not going to get the sick babies and the people with fevers and anybody acute. I was going to get people with chronic things, you know, high blood pressure, reflux, you know, uh, arthritis, uh, muscle aches and pains. And um, I was going to be working with Lewis. Uh, He is a bilingual Malawian. I'd worked with him every every year I'd been there. Uh, And uh, in Malawi, while English is spoken, it's spoken in the, in the cities, not in the little villages. Uh, literacy is a problem. So um, I had Lewis along to be my interpreter. We were working at the Rose Clinic, which is just a little clinic, as I said, very simple. Uh, the bricks, the Malawians themselves made in the village, and they built that place, had a little simple uh, metal roof. And in my room, well, it was not very big. Um, There was no ceiling. Uh, There was just the rafters and the roof. Uh, There was no light. There was just a simple window in the back wall. Uh, And there was no furniture to speak of. I had a a chair for the patients, and I had a bench. That was for Lewis and me. (laughs) Um, We landed there and uh, started working on that first day, and I saw my patients and saw my patients. And about the middle of the morning, uh, in came an older gentleman, And he, um, 
after I greeted him in my limited chichewa, you know, mulibwanji, um, we asked him his problem, and he said he was having problem with his sight. Great. I don't have an ophthalmoscope. I don't have a wall chart. What have I got? I've got a stethoscope. What am I supposed to do? Listen to his eyes? <laughs> but you know what I did? I listened to his chest. <laughs> and then I got him over to the light, have some kind of look in his eyes that I maybe can find something. And as I moved his face across the light from the window, I could see the pupils of his eye go from black to gray. Cataracts. So I set him down, and I had Lewis explain to him that there's no medicine that's going to give him his eyesight back. He's going to have to go into town to a government hospital, have an operation. They can give him his sight back. Well, he listened, and he nodded, and he, I think he understood, and he thanked me, Zikomo, that's how they say, Zikomo, and um, he made his way out, and I watched him leave, and I wondered if he would ever get his eyesight back. But more patients came in, and I saw them. I worked through noon, uh, through the noon meal, and into the afternoon, and that afternoon, in came a younger man, I'm guessing about 30. He looked pretty healthy to me. He was kind of tall and strapping, uh, and after the greetings, I asked him, you know, oh, what's your problem? Well, he had a problem with his sight. Not again, because I just still got my stethoscope, you know. But when all you've got is a hammer, <laughs> everything starts looking like a nail. So I, uh, I listened to his chest again. And then I moved him by the window. He was way too young for cataracts, but I moved him by just to see if I could find something. And lo and behold, as I moved his face across that light, I could see um, some very light, pale, gray cloudiness to his corneas. Not the same on both sides, not symmetrical at all. Uh, I thought they were scars, but I felt I needed a consult on this one, so Dr. Dan came over, uh, and he looked at him, and he agreed there were probably scars. We talked about maybe it was herpes. I had asked this guy what had led up to his loss of vision, and he couldn't remember anything. He just said lost his vision. He wasn't acute. There was no redness. There was no pain. Um, there was no tearing. There was no avoiding the light. But Dan and I thought that, you know, just in case there's something lingering that's still active that might make those scars worse, let's give him something. So we gave him some steroid drops to put in his eyes, and we told him, you know, three times a day, each eye, use it all up. And I explained to him that I didn't think this was going to help his vision, but we wanted to be sure that he didn't lose any more vision. He understood this, and he thanked us, you know, Sikomo, <laughs> and made his way out. Well, that day ran out, and I came back the next day to see more patients. We were doing about 200 patients a day. Um, and it was the same, actually, that morning as it was the first morning. After a stream of patients, in came an older man, and he complained of problems with his sight. I couldn't believe it, honestly. You know, um, three patients in so short a time. Um, I um, just went through the same drill with him. You know, it was cataracts, uh, and we had the same explanation about having to have the surgery. Well, when we finished telling that part of the story um, to him, uh, there was an exchange between him and my, my uh, interpreter, Lewis. So I asked Lewis what, what that was all about. Well, Lewis said, the man is telling me that if he has that surgery, he's going to lose his eyes. 
No. I said, Lewis, that's not true. Tell him that my father had that surgery, and he did not lose his eyes. He told him. At the mention of my father, the old man turned his head and looked at me. And as our eyes met, he was, had a little bit of a melancholy look in his eye, but I could tell that there was no way he was going to have that surgery. And nothing I was going to do was going to convince him otherwise. So he made his way out after thanking me, um, and I knew he'd never get his vision back. It occurred to me later how naive I had been. He probably knew a story, or he maybe even knew a person who had had that surgery and got a wound infection. That would be a disaster over there. And maybe actually did lose their eyes, their eyes, not just their eyesight. However that may be, I continued to work, and that afternoon, at the end of the day, uh, came in my last patient. A woman with her baby. Oops. I don't do the babies. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, uh, but in she came, and I, I, I saw her. Saw her. She was... Uh, she was young. I mean, she couldn't have been just a year or two over 20. Um, she was really actually pretty. She had her head uh, in a colorful scarf. She had the little blousey top. Uh, she had a chitenje, which is a wraparound uh, that they have all the way down to their ankles. For you know, They're very modest. Uh, they have clothing under that, but that's what they wrap around to hide their legs. She had old shoes on. And although this was colorful, of course, it was a little faded with age. But... Um, and then she, her baby, the baby was in another chitenje, which she had wrapped around her like a, like a quiver of arrows, you know. Uh, that's a very typical Malawi. Um, and I, I looked at her, and my first thought was, she's been misdirected. But then I thought, who knows how far she traveled to get here? Because there are like 23 villages in this district. And who knows how long she'd waited to see somebody I wasn't going to send her home at the end of the day you know what I was going to take my stethoscope and see if I couldn't knock it out of the park <laughs> so I had her come in sit down uh, the baby was not crying was, not, was asleep sleep. that's good sleeping babies are good <laughs> uh, but I did ask her if the baby was okay the baby's fine it was her problem well ma'am what's your problem and she said I'm having trouble with <laughs> my eyesight no, not again. Again, too young for cataracts. I thought, well, you know, let me have a look. Brought her to the window, turned her head, nothing wrong. Now, what occurred to me uh, as I thought about it that maybe this was a refractive error. That is to say, maybe she's nearsighted. Um, so, in those days, I had reading glasses, because I had contact lenses and reading glasses. Now, I have intraocular lenses from my cataracts being taken out. But in those days, it was, it was uh, the other way around. And so I, um, I gave her my glasses, and I said, use these. And, and I, I picked up a, a little packet we had uh, of test kits for malaria. Had writing on the side. Now, that writing was in English, but just saying, maybe she could get through it. And I said, could you read the top line of this on the side? Well, I was shocked. She read that in beautifully enunciated English. Never heard that in the village before. Never. So I'm, I'm like, whoa. Well, can, can you read the, the next line because the print's smaller? She read that line. 
Well, what about the bottom line? Because that print, so small, I couldn't read it. She read it. Sounded right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, so I took my glasses back, and I took the, the, the box back, and I said to her, you've been educated. And she looked at me and said, yes, but I had to drop out of school in the 10th grade because I couldn't see the blackboard. She couldn't keep up. Really cut my heart to hear that. Um, in Malawi, it's very hard to keep girls in school. They drop out of school, and that gives them no opportunity to escape the cycle of poverty, even in that poor country. But what am I going to do? You know, and I'm thinking, well, gee, I could get back. No, there's not time to get back to the city and get her something tonight. Maybe I could uh, go to the city and get her some glasses and come back the next day. Well, that's not going to work because we've got stuff to do tomorrow. And who knows how far she'd have to come again and when she'd get there. And, you know, it's just impossible to work that out. But, of course, the answer was (laughs) as plain as a nose on my face. So I turned to her and I said, you know, with glasses like this that aren't specially made for your eyes, if they're too weak you won't be able to read. But if uh, you read perfectly, that's not the problem. If they're too strong, it can make your eyes hurt, give you a lot of achy feeling in your eye, or maybe give you a headache. Uh, when you were using the glasses, did you have that feeling at all? No, she said. It was fine. Perfect. <laughs> and now I knew why she was there. Because... <laughs> she walked into the room of the only person in the, on the team who had reading glasses. Didn't bother her that they were men's glasses. Didn't bother her that they were just reading glasses. Here, I said, you take these. She looked at me with surprise and gratitude, and she thanked me over and over. And I'm telling her, it's okay, it's okay. Okay, take the glasses and um, be safe. Be on your way. So she left. Watched her go. I looked over at my buddy, Lewis. He looked at me. Big Malawian smile on his face. And we called it a day. You know, sometimes all you got to do is show up. Zikomo. If you'd like to tell a story like this one, or just enjoy the show, visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org, where you'll find a list of upcoming shows, plenty of ways to pitch your story, and our podcast featuring storytellers from previous shows. Until next time, thanks for listening to Tell Me More Live.